Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Woman in Compliance podcast, which is co-hosted by my podcast spouse, Lisa Fine, and myself, Mary Shirley. We're sponsored by Corporate Compliance Insights, a web-based compliance media outlet with not only the latest news and analysis in our space, but you can also see our quick landing page to find out more about the podcast and view our previous episodes as well. Today, we welcome Kerry Silvino to the show. Hello, Kerry. Please tell us about yourself. Hi, Mary. Thank you for the opportunity. I am Kerry Sorvino. I am a compliance attorney, formerly an employment attorney, switched to compliance about 14 years ago and have been in the life sciences space since roughly 2002. Love the area, think it's exciting and have done everything you possibly can think of in compliance, ranging from investigations to counseling to policies, training, education and communication. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And before that, I understand that you were previously an employment lawyer. How did that set you up for a transition to compliance? So in many ways, being an employment lawyer involves doing investigations. And so working as an employment lawyer, you understand the soft skills, those HR soft skills of how to talk to people and really have that kindness, respect and dignity in every interaction that you do. So when you when I transferred to compliance when I was at Pfizer, it was a very easy transfer to go from doing employment investigations to doing compliance investigations. Yes, it's a new set of rules, but how you treat people, how you talk to people, how you ask people questions is all the same. Plus, when you're working with compliance, you have to work with HR. And having mm-hmm. that employment law background, I've always found HR to be a great partner to me mm-hmm. from my employment law background and my compliance background. So it's just always helpful to have that street cred, so to speak, with HR to say, I know where you're coming from. I've been there. I've been an employment lawyer for many years. Mm-hmm. I've gone to trial. I've done depositions. I've helped counsel. I know where you are. I know what you're dealing with. Let me come in and help you from a compliance perspective. Mm, great. And then another, it's not quite a different area of work in terms of the subject matter, but it is a different space that you've worked in, which is you're currently with Axiom, which is a legal firm that collects lawyers of various talents and companies are able to tap into the rich resources to temporarily bring on Axiom crew mondees to work for the in-house clients in their legal or compliance department. I think that sounds like a lot of fun. What have been the benefits of such an experience? Axiom is a fantastic environment and a great opportunity for people, especially if you're coming out of transition from a corporate job. If your life is in a different area, you need to take on a new space. So with Axiom, as you said, they place you in different organizations and different corporations based on your skill set. And you're because you come in with a high level of experience, the, the projects that you're doing, and it could range from a short-term discrete project to a long-ranging project of where you're sitting in a in-house or in a compliance group where you're actually handling a client group for a company for a predetermined amount of time, six months, nine months, a year, 15 months. And the benefit of it is that you increase your network because you meet so many new people and you are always contacting and working Mm -hmm. with people and you just really learn so much about the different companies that you work for. And it gives you a bird's eye view as to how corporations work, especially corporations that you may not have worked with before. Sounds good. I like variety. So I think that's a great, great solution for that. 
You're very experienced in the life sciences arena. What are some of the compliance risks of particular relevance in the life sciences? For me, I was looking at the compliance program. Compliance is compliance, right? Mm -hmm. About anti-bribery, anti-corruption, no fraud, typical basic principles that any company is going to have. No gifts or gifts done appropriately, no gifts Mm -hmm. government officials. And then in the life sciences space, we then have that additional layer of how you interact with healthcare professionals and how or when or how can you interact with patients. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to just the regular principles of anti-corruption, anti-bribery, no fraud, anti-gift to government officials, how do you interact with healthcare professionals, especially in the global space? In many countries, the healthcare professionals are actually government officials in those areas. So those are the intricacies that can sometimes happen in the life sciences space. Plus, you also have the additional rules of how you launch a product in a new market, what you need to do. And although compliance is not regulatory, compliance will very often partner with the regulatory team to make sure that how they are interacting with the government officials to launch a new product, launch a new drug, is done appropriately. Mm. So there are those nuances that just take a regular compliance program just to a slightly different level. Mm. But it's also, it's a lot of fun because it keeps you on your toes and it is something that is very relevant, especially in today's world. When Mm. you talk about life sciences company, all of us coming out in the pandemic and how we interact with, you know, healthcare professionals, bearing in mind the heavy burden that they've all had over the past couple of years and how we still need to interact with them in that life sciences space to talk about and to talk legitimately about products and what we can do. And then the patient voice is so important in clinical trials. I come from a background in the rare disease space, and it's very important for patients to have that voice. And the laws and regulations right now are emerging as to what they can do and what they can say. It's a very exciting time to be in the life sciences space, especially working in the rare disease area. Absolutely. I think one of the challenges that I've found as a compliance officer working in this area is that a lot of the time compliance needs to be stricter because your company may belong to trade associations where you agree to be bound by their compliance codes. And for example, in my space, you can't proffer any type of entertainment to third parties. And that becomes challenging at times. Like you initially think, okay, this sounds fine. In fact, maybe it sounds easy for me because it's just a straight out approach of no to entertainment. But I ask you the question, what happens if you are taking a business contact out to dinner and then there's a live band playing music? Are you suddenly offering hospitality of entertainment as well as a meal? So some of those stricter things that I didn't have to think about outside this space cause additional challenging. And as you mentioned, a different level of consideration gets brought in. 100%. That scrutiny that you need to have is also because the government comes in and looks at what we do and makes sure that we're doing the right thing. But more importantly, we also know that the public perception of healthcare professionals and pharmaceutical companies and life sciences companies has to be above board. Mm-hmm. And we always have to do the right thing. So as a compliance person, we understand as a compliance professional, we understand that people uh, we need to provide the information to the HCPs. We need to have those business discussions. But if those business discussions take place in an inappropriate location, you will have a perception perspective and that negative risk reputation, which we don't want to have. I agree. So thinking now about investigations, what is your best internal investigations hack? Actually, very simple, <laughs> which is to treat everybody with kindness, respect, and dignity. Mm. Based on my role, both doing employment law and then compliance law investigations, I have done over a thousand investigations in my Mm -hmm. career and it's always the same process. It's always emails, reviewing as long as you can in the jurisdiction that you're operating in and then talking to people and asking people the questions. And in all my time, people are nervous. 
Even mm. I've had people come up and call me and say, I've never done anything wrong. Why are you talking to me? And there's really is no hack to get around doing that document review. Mm -hmm. Calling people in for a reason because you've seen something or something was brought to your attention through a hotline call and you need to follow up on that. And the best thing I can tell everybody is always remember that the people in front of you are people with their own outside lives. Mm -hmm. So although you as a compliance person or as an employment lawyer have a job to do where you have to ask some really tough questions mm -hmm. and you have to show some really important documentation to get answers on, Always remember that kindness, respect, and daily go a long way. I so agree with you. And even though it's simple, it's perhaps not necessarily the most intuitive way to approach investigations. And for me, I came from working for regulators. And so we were used to being very serious about things. And I'm an earnest person <laughs> to start off with. And so for me, the initial way in which I learned to conduct investigations is by being serious. And a lot of the time when we were in very big international aided cartel type investigations, that type of conduct is criminalized in some countries. So knowing that the person in front of you might end up in prison was something that was sobering to me as a very young professional. And fortunately, we're not always involved in such egregious investigations when we're in-house. And so one of the things that I learned from one of my old bosses, John Freeman, who was the general counsel at Tata Communications when I worked for them, when I watched John do an investigation and lead interviews for the first time, before we began, he was pushed back on his chair, leaning back, smiling and chatting with the interviewee. And I thought, wait, what? You can do that? And so it came as a real shock to me because I'd only ever seen one type of investigation before. And then I realized, you know what, even if the person is going to be someone who is going to end up getting into trouble me smiling at them during the investigation or during the interview isn't going to allow them to point to something and say, Mary was smiling at me the whole time, so I'm clearly not in any kind of trouble. You can't terminate me. That's just not a thing. And now I, of course, know that many investigations don't even end up substantiated. So you're, you're doing yourself a disservice if you are very harsh and negatively during the interview questioning, because most of the time the person in front of you is not some kind of criminal, and half the time they're just a witness anyway. So I have learned in it I make it a practice to smile the entire way through the interview outline. And should it be a worst case scenario, then at the very least, I hope that person feels like they were treated with respect on their way out as we went through due process and natural justice. 100% agree. There's nothing wrong with smiling. And remember, you can be kind and serious at the same mm -hmm. time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, there was, I heard a quote from someone a while back, which was, I don't feel like I've done my job properly if I didn't make someone cry during an investigation interview. And I think that's crazy. But um, that, that's definitely not the way I approach life. And I also believe that you have to be authentic and transparent as to what mm -hmm. you're doing. And my type of personality doesn't lend itself to banging my fist on the table mm -hmm. or looking at somebody. I also learned that through doing appointment law depositions. We have those soft skills and employment lawyers all employ that because you know you're talking to people all the time. And so you take that on with the investigations because you have to respect the process. But especially if you are an in-house attorney, you are talking to somebody who is still an employee of that company, like you are. Mm -hmm. So that respect and that dignity and that kindness just goes a long way. Yes, you still have to answer 
and ask those tough questions. You still have to show those tough doc documents, whether it's emails, whether it's a poorly written contract that was signed, whatever it is, whether it's expense reports that have been fraud has been shown on it, which I've been involved with in those situations before where somebody says, oh no, I don't, I didn't mean to write that. Or when I had that expense report there and I put five people, really there was only three people and we just overordered. I've been through all of that. Those people are scared. They've mm -hmm. done something wrong. Absolutely. Whatever happens to them will be in the hands of their manager, HR, and the company's rules and discipline that the company has. My role is to ask those questions, to get those answers, and to do it with as much kindness and respect as I can. Totally agree. And it, it goes double for the benefit that you reap should you continue to be colleagues with that person, because you're going to need to do compliance initiatives with them further down the Either they'll be a participant or if they are in a leadership role, maybe on stage with you, yeah. you know, partnering with you. Yep, yep. Wonderful. I would love to end our conversation by hearing your favorite motivational quote. Well, I don't think you can ever go wrong with my interview. And there's only so many quotes of her that I could share with you right now. But the one that I would say that has stuck with me for many years just follows along the same theme of kindness, respect, and dignity. It's the idea that I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah, that is a great one. And it, it certainly rings true. The minutiae of details, we can't even remember what we had for breakfast last week on Tuesday. Instantly, when you see someone, the feeling that you have upon recognizing them and what that means for your relationship with that person. So very truthful and valid for us in our personal lives, but also in our professional lives. And I think there is a huge space for kindness in the workplace. It, though interestingly with that said, something that I observed recently was in a meeting with someone from SNAP and someone from another organization. And they said, which one's that company again that preaches kindness? And I was like, oh, SNAP. And then the gentleman said, oh, isn't it funny? That's what they profess to be. And then they just lay off a whole load of people. And that was a recent situation. And so I think when we act with kindness or when we hold ourselves out to be kind or whatever other virtue it may be, we also have to be prepared for call-outs of hypocrisy or not complying with that value that we say that we want to abide by. I think there's a huge space. It's not out of line with professionalism to be kind, but I also think that when we hold ourselves out to believe in kindness and to want to portray it, we also have to understand that we've got to pretty consistently act in that way and that even sometimes necessary decisions may be made in an organization. What we've seen a lot very recently is that how you choose to approach your layoffs can almost be make or break for your reputation. And some vendors in the compliance space have taken one heck of a beating from verging on hypocrisy in terms of working in the ethics space, but doing a pretty poor job at it. And I have to say, for all the compliance concerns that we may have about Facebook, I was pretty impressed by the way in which Mark Zuckerberg dealt with the 
the recent layoffs at Meta. He really provided for thoughtful steps for people to take. And for me as a someone who's been an expat for 12 years, I was particularly impressed that he acknowledged that this was going to be tumultuous for people who were on work visas. Their life would be upended. And of course, as someone with an employment law background, you'll be familiar with a lot of the repercussions of that. But it was interesting to me that that was a good opportunity for Meta. And I thought it was handled pretty well. I'm interested in your thoughts, Carrie. Clarify a couple of things. Kindness mm. doesn't mean not being firm. I'm sure when I grounded my 13-year-old last week, he was not going to say his mom was kind. I'm sure that was not going to be the first words out of his mouth. I'm sure he was thinking a lot of other things that 13-year-old boys think about, especially when they lose their phone for a week. But kindness does not mean not being firm. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. not being serious. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. not doing the right thing for the organization. Is it disappointing when companies do layoffs? 100%. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. How you do the layoff and how you share the news of the layoff mm-hmm. people are two ways that you can be kind. Mm-hmm. So I have a little bit of a different approach with what happened with Meta, simply because I have a friend of a friend who found out that he was being laid off via the 3 a.m. email. Oh, and I so I do understand 10,000 people being laid off. You can't possibly have the one-on-one conversation. Mm. I do agree with you that Mark Zuckerberg bringing everybody together and I heard what he did is he shared with people that he made mistakes mm. and he took the accountability for himself that he made mistakes and he's providing severance and things like that, which is a wonderful thing to do to help cushion the blow because mm-hmm. it is a scary economic time right now mm-hmm. and it is a really tough time and it's the holidays. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to leave a job during that. Mm-hmm. That's hard, especially again, when you realize that these are people with families, even if they're single people, or you said people on visas, it's going to be tumultuous. It's going to upend their lives. But I do believe that there is a way that when you are, you have to make that tough business decision to lay somebody off, to recognize then how are you going to share that news with them? And that's when that kindness and that authenticity and that transparency come into play. But on the other hand, what we don't want to see as consumers and as people who are all employees ourselves we don't then want to see three months later a board of directors then issuing hundreds of thousands of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars mm. to the CEOs of the company that just laid off 10 to 15 to 20,000 people. There's that hypocrisy that I do think corporate America mm-hmm. actually get lambasted on. And that mm-hmm. is not kind. And that mm-hmm. is not appropriate. And that's mm-hmm. not the values. So those people who have been impacted who then see that their jobs are rehired two months later or see that their jobs are their CEOs receiving huge pay packages three months later, that's going to have a negative impact. And it mm-hmm. shows you laid somebody off, you completely changed their life. And then you are, you may say you feel badly, but you're still working with a very large pay package. There's something that feels very unkind to me about that. Mm-hmm. So very not transparent. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really sorry to hear about that story. It's not ideal to wake up to an email informing you of your demise. My understanding was it wasn't just this person's, it also happened to other people. But of course, Mm. that may not be correct. But again, I do understand that when you're having these large scale layoffs, it's very hard for people to have those one on one communications and conversations. Yeah. But it is more kind to do it that way. And it's just more authentic because then you're providing that space for people to share their disbelief, mm-hmm. share, I can't believe this happened to me, to share their anger, to share their annoyance, then mm-hmm. to provide them with the details. Emails are just cold and it's hard to read the tone in an email. 
I think so. There's one one thing I've chatted about with a friend in the past, and I'll be interested to hear your view on this, is I think a lot of companies, and we've spoken on this podcast a fair bit about respect and dignity during the hiring process. And I know a lot of companies, when you're down to the last two, and you're pretty sure, you're like, I'm pretty sure it's just me and someone else at this point because you've interviewed a million times, and you're waiting to find out the outcome, and then you get a call and you're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, and your heart's pumping and you answer the phone and you find out that you've come bridesmaid, essentially. And I think companies do that because they think it's kinder to tell you in person. For me, at least, I would rather have the email that said, thank you so much, I did not get my hopes up. So I I have a different view again. Okay, yeah, go for it. Because, and I hear you, getting that email is a lot easier because you don't have to then show emotion or try to not have emotion on the phone when somebody's telling you thanks, but no thanks, we've gone the other direction. My concern with getting that email, especially in those interview processes where you've had 12 to 15 interviews, and some of the companies nowadays are doing these 12 to 15 interview procedures over two or three months to just get a two-paragraph email that basically says thanks, but no thanks, feels a little disheartening. And then it says, don't reply to this email because it's going to an unmonitored mailbox, right? And you're thinking to yourself, I literally just spent 12 to 15 hours of my time with you. And then, of course, the preparation time, the thank you notes that I sent, looking up every single person, trying to tailor my questions to every single person. And I get a two-paragraph email with an unmonitored mailbox. That feels so unkind and not respectful and not dignified in any way. So that's why I actually prefer the phone call where they can say, you did not make this. Thank you so much for meeting with 25 people or 15 people or 17 (laughs) people or eight people. Thank you so much for doing that. But, and here's why we chose, we didn't choose you. And Mm -hmm. I think those conversations, I know it's harder for HR. It's harder for talent acquisition to do that. And they open themselves up to people asking tough questions. I would prefer it because it just feels kinder. Again, it's only yeah. if you're the top two. If you're in the top five and you didn't make it, or if you're in that initial pool where you didn't make it, that's fine. Just send me an email. But if I have spent 12 to 15 interviews with you, which I've done in the past, get that two-paragraph mm-hmm. email. just feels a little... Yeah, I... Unwanted mailbox is disgusting, <laughs> obviously. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, I guess I have low standards because I'm just comparing like that email with being ghosted completely. That's so and true. you having to beg for a, can I please find out what happened? Like, right. I thought I was still in the process. Can you confirm for me? Am I still in the process or no? I've, I've talked before. I have been ghosted many times and even been ghosted by these top level headhunters. Yeah that say that they're going to follow up with you, put you through an interview process of, again, Mm -hmm. to 12 to 15 people, and then you hear nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, and it's even funny when you see on LinkedIn that somebody else got hired, you say, oh, look at that. I guess I didn't get it after all. Oh. But it's all in good fun. It all works out in the end because you're all going to find the right place that you meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad to hear your points on that. Everything completely makes sense. The only thing that I would be unsure about is I would be surprised, especially in America where it's so litigious, if people actually told you the reasons why you weren't selected. 
like that feedback, even in New Zealand, we wouldn't typically expect to receive that. I do remember when I was very young and I applied for a job and I enthusiastically asked for feedback and the woman had been sounding so lovely and polite and she gave an audible sigh and a groan when I asked for that. She was like, oh, let me just go take a look at the documentation. And so she like rattled off a few things, which probably I would guess in America wouldn't even be done for fear of litigation, perhaps. I don't know. So I think, again, this would be a burden on talent acquisition. And I think most employment lawyers are now cringing, saying this woman has been in compliance too long. Why is she recommending this? <laughs> because of the litigious <laughs> nature that we do have. But I do think you can do it for a certain level, a certain time. If you just had five interviews, and it's one of those, we're now calling five interviews quick, just so you know. You have just one of those five <laughs> interview processes, and you get rejected. That's okay. When you are truly spending these 12 to 15 interviews, in some cases more, and you're spending 45 minutes to an hour with people, each person at a time, that's such an investment of time that you've done that the company should at least be able to say, thank you so much for applying for XYZ position. Here's why we've chosen this. Here's why we've chosen mm -hmm. person. And they, even if they say something to the effect of, you didn't have the qualifications in this area, that's better than getting that two paragraph email in those discrete areas. I don't think it'll ever happen, but I just think it's more appropriate. Yeah, sounds good to me. I'm for transparency. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have today, Kerry. Thank you so much for sharing your view, the interesting conversation, being pro for not treating people like crap. I love that. We could have little slogans saying that maybe more catchy than don't treat people like crap. And uh, look forward to hearing any of our listener feedback that uh, anything resonated with you. Feel free to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Mary. This was a blast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.